my whole life, I've sort of straddled the world of music and the world of, I guess, not music. <laughs> so that's a binary that only exists if you really care about music. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a solid take for you right there. Can you kick things off by introducing yourself and what you do professionally? Yeah, so my name is Maxime. I'm a senior product manager at BandLab Technologies. So my purview is uh, the product called Studio, which is the digital audio workstation that we use for people to record music. Got it. So you are a senior product manager. That's right. What what exactly does a senior product manager do? <laughs> um, well, so I like to think of product management sort of as, as sitting in the center of like the, of a triangle, right? I love frameworks, right? And I think this is a really, really easy framework to understand. And it actually really is helpful in a lot of different contexts. But the idea being that at each, at, at each corner of the triangle, you have the business, right? So essentially, how does the organization make money? The people, who's actually using the thing that you're making? And then um, the, the team, who's actually building it? Right. And so those are like engineers, but that's also like the community team. That's the salespeople, whoever's involved in actually making sure that the product is delivered in some way. And so the product manager's job is to sit in the middle of that triangle and basically facilitate conversations. Right. I think we're essentially a communication vehicle that says, hey, you know, do you have what you need to tell me to tell the team what they need to do? Do you have what you need to perform the function? Do you have what you need to, you know, as a person who's using the product to enjoy, to get a fulfilling experience out of the product, right? So, you know, there's, there's the senior title is, is whatever. I think there are expectations internally around, you know, mentorship and, and a certain understanding of the domain of product management. But in general, right, the idea of a product manager is, is, a, is, a, is a communication vehicle. Would you consider yourself the glue that keeps things going or like what, what would be a, like a one sentence version to simplify yeah, that? Uh, I wish I could just be the glue that keeps things going. I feel more like I'm the, I'm the company chimney sweep. <laughs> like it's my job to make sure that like the fire is lit in the chimney and that the chimney is clear so that, you know, the smoke can get out. Right. And that like everybody can see it and it all looks nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll dub this with some footage of a chimney sweep. So when people hear your voice, they can get the, the That's picture. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So it covered um, and everything. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> um, so like what kind of skills does someone need to have in, in this role? Yeah. So I think what's so cool about product management, um, and maybe for some people, what's so scary about product management is that really anybody can do it. Um, I, I think the primary prerequisite is very dependent on the company that you're actually working for. So for me, it's more a question of, are you passionate about the area that you're going to be managing? Um, right from there, you know, I think I, I, there's some sort of interesting, you can look at sort of the top companies uh, in the tech space at least, right? So I'm, I'm obviously involved in tech um, and I think product management is, you primarily see product managers in tech companies, um, and at least that's my that's my area of expertise, right? So if you sort of go look at as I did when I was interested, like you know when I was just starting out as a product manager and thinking, what do I actually you know what is this? What do I want to be doing? I I went on to LinkedIn and I basically looked at okay who are people that I would want to be in ten years, right? And and where did they start and what are their careers about? So what I sort of learned is that. Product managers come from three to four different backgrounds, right? The, the Microsoft version of a product manager, they seem to only hire 
people out of engineering programs. So that's, you know, software engineering, or if they're working in their hardware divisions, you might see mechanical engineers, but essentially people with really strong technical skills. And again, going back to that framework, right? It's like, what is the, well, who are the people that are building the thing, right? Um, it's really helpful to be able to speak the language of code, to be able to understand how long things are going to take to get built a little bit more intrinsically so that you don't have to go ask those questions because that's a key part of making sure that the chimney can like blow smoke, right? Is making sure that um, that you actually understand what it takes to build the thing. The, the Amazon approach, they only hire people out of like business degrees, right? So typically MBAs, but the idea being, okay, how do you interface with, with business? How do you interface with understanding what it takes to actually make money? And so again, you sort of have another component of the triangle that's recognized. There's a, there's a third way, which is sort of just like you kind of work your way up and actually, right, CJ, you and I met working at Bebop Sensors and that was a space where I was, um, you know, I started out just sort of doing hacky engineering R&D work and sort of worked my way into product management. And that's a typical path because it fosters excitement about the product and then you sort of grow into being an evangelist and a communicator about the product, the product management, right? So that's sort of internal promotion thing. But the last one, and this is actually sort of what I then, when I decided, hey, I formally want to do product management um, as a career, it, I, I actually ended up going back to school for interaction design. And the idea there was um, something that we're seeing increasingly in the space is the third point of the triangle right, is advocating on behalf of the people that are actually using the product. And so design is a really great competency for doing that because um, the, the school of design that I went to is, right, is human-centered design, which is kind of a, an antiquated buzzword, ironically, at this point. But it's this idea of what tools do you need to actually go out and learn from people, to do one-on-one -on -one research and have interviews with them, right, to be able to sit with them and watch them in their native environment using the product that you're ultimately trying to use so that you can go back and communicate with business and communicate with, you know, engineers, the team that's building it. Hey, these are the pain points. These are what we're seeing as the issues that people are um, needing to address, right? So in summary, you basically have I think as a prerequisite, you need to have some enthusiasm about what it is that you're going to be managing as a product. But then typically you have some sort of understanding of either business constraints, right? So an MBA is a really good way to think about that, though I don't think that you need a master's in business administration to pull that off, um, right? Or an engineering degree, some form of technical training about how to actually build the thing um, or some training in, hey, what it takes to have conversations with people to learn from them to sort of process pain points um, and, and convey those out to the team. Gotcha. I got a couple of questions on that, that thread um, while we're here. Um, like generally speaking, before I get to like, how does someone become a product manager? Like why should someone become a product manager? Yeah, I, I think the, the deal with, right. They, a lot of, you sort of hear this colloquialism that product managers are mini CEOs, right? And so it's like in a company that has a lot of different product divisions, you kind of have these people that are responsible for making sure that the thing actually gets built. So why should people become product managers? I think is a, is a, very open question that is a little bit, this is why I say anybody can become a product manager, right? You could be very technically minded and then also just be, you know, a good communicator, right? I think that's, that's an important prerequisite. And so then you say, Hey, I think I can, I, I have what it takes to, like I said, sit in the middle of that triangle and interface with these different people. For me, the why is I want to build products that people want to use. 
And so for me, it's about saying, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn from people and I'm going to have conversations with people and I'm going to see what gets them excited about, in my case, making music with, with our tools and then turn around and say, okay, cool. How do we actually solve some of these problems, right? Why, why aren't people as excited as they possibly could be when they're using this particular feature? Um, and then we do, we sit down and we like have a bunch of brainstorming sessions and we sort of say collectively like, oh, I see, maybe, maybe this is a way that we could improve the experience. And then you're going out and you're prototyping it and you're showing it back to people and you're saying, hey, is this what works? What doesn't work? Right. And, and at the end of the day, it, I think you're, you're servicing all three needs, right? You're, you're making sure that people that are building it are happy, that they're enjoying their work. You're making sure that the people that are using it are happy, right? That they're having a fulfilling experience and then you're making sure that the business is happy that they're actually making money so the why for being a product manager is that you really just like want to see things come to life right you don't want to just like have an idea and and get one component of putting it in the, in the process which is kind of like what engineering is but you get to sort of be at the full you get to manage the full life cycle of something from the inception from the original idea which maybe exists in a business context. Maybe it exists because some engineer said, hey, this would be a really cool thing. Or maybe it exists because you saw somebody using the product um, and having a hard time with it. Or they did some crazy workflow that you realize was absolutely brilliant and you want to codify. Right? But you go from that inception of an idea all the way through to not just seeing it out in the world, but then continuing to iterate on it and say, okay, we just put it out there, but that's maybe the, the minimum viable product, right? This first release, and now we want to improve upon it. So you get to sort of, conceive of and then raise this this full creature that is the product um and to me that's the why it's really fun you know it's 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 the opposite of a consulting mindset where you come in and you propose some ideas then you walk away from it um you have to sort of nurture this thing throughout every stage of its of its growth is this something generally like can a college student study product management and then go become one i know you touched on the mba route the engineering route, or is this something that's typically taught in school that once you graduate, you're ready for an entry level product management spot, an associate PM spot? Like what's the typical path? Like when you're in college, is, is this presented to you? Yeah. I, I mean, there's no like degree in product management. You know, there, there are programs that, that teach it and I don't, I've, I have not taken one, so I can't really speak to it, but I can speak to being on the other end of many interviews, right, with pro product manager candidates. And I, t I can tell you for sure that we do not pay attention to whether or not you've been schooled in product management because so much of what it takes to become or to be successful as a product manager is the constraints of your own individual company. Every company is completely different. And so that's why you hear over and over again from product managers that one company's idea of product management is very different from another one's. So that framework that I'm providing is, is really rough. I mean, a lot of what I do specifically at BandLab is, is highly tailored to the culture, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're a conduit, if you're this communicator between these three different points of the triangle, it's all about the people that are at those points of the triangle. You know, if I was working in fintech, the types of people that are using the, comp the, the product, the types of people that are trying to make money off of the product, and the types of people that have the competencies to build all of the infrastructure to make that happen are just like radically different people from musicians who are using the product, right? And like business people who are interested in making, you know, a living off of, off of um, you know, the, the artistic community. And then the engineers who themselves are primarily musicians, right? And they're just excited and are also nerds that want to build this stuff. Um, so there is... I think it's really important to understand, like if you want to go into product management, and I really think if you do, you should, because if you have any interest in it at all, like there's a space for you because there's a space for everybody in the field. 
Um, it's more about, like I said, being excited about the end product itself and having an evangelism for it. With all of that said, I will give a small plug for, for the program that I went to that I got my master's from in interaction design. The irony being, yes, it's a, you get a master's in design, but what they're teaching is systems thinking. Um, and so you either, you see people coming out of that program that are typically either in some, in some cases, both, but they're either brilliant graphic designers that could make things really beautiful, or they're sort of thinking about backend systems and trying to figure out, okay, how do people actually understand this product, you know, when they, when they interact with it, right? And what do we need to do to figure out whether or not they understand these things? And so I actually think that that is a, a schooling in the skills that you need to be a successful product manager, just disguised as a design degree. Um, and so that's why I think more and more in the next decade, um, we're going to see uh, design students getting pulled into product management um, because it's just like the the skill sets that you need to think as a systems thinker are very related to the skill sets that you need in order to succeed as a product manager. Got it. And you said it was pretty tailored to a specific company. Um, you said you're working at Band Lab. Are you a musician yourself? Are you passionate about building products for musicians? Like, I'm curious what what made you want to work for them and be a PM for them. Good question. So, 100. percent Yeah, that's like. Um, my whole my whole life, I've sort of straddled the world of music and the world of, I guess, not music. <laughs> so that's a binary that only exists if you really care about music. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a solid take for you right there. Uh, the the idea being right, like I, um, I I graduated from high school and at the time felt very much that a part of a key part of my identity was being a musician. I'm a clarinetist, a saxophonist. I um, studied jazz and. You know, I was strongly considering going to music conservatory and ultimately decided against it and said, okay, you know what, instead I'm going to go to UC Berkeley um, and I'm sort of just going to get a well-rounded education. Part of the intention of going to Berkeley was that I knew I had access to a community of musicians and I was still taking gigs and sort of playing outside. Um, and so I still sort of had one foot in the world of music. And my entire career has been like a, you know, a wrestling inside my brain of, okay, how do I sort of make money? Because it's actually pretty difficult as a musician to make money um, and also be able to express myself, um, you know, in a, in a sonic environment. Um, and so I've constantly sort of been chasing opportunities that allow me to work with musicians, that allow me to work for musicians, um, right? And that allow me to continue to express myself as a musician. Um, and so in this case, right, like this is the point being like, I'm absolutely an evangelist for the product. I use it every single day. I use it when I'm bored. I use it when I'm excited. And I think that's sort of what ultimately makes the best product managers which I mean, I, I hope that I'm a good product manager, you know, but like, I'm not going to speak for myself, but in general, what I see is that the people who succeed in this field sort of like live and breathe the tools that they're using um, or the tools that they're making. And and for me, it's very much the case, right? Like um, I, I get to explore these little things on my phone, these ideas that I have. Um, I think of BandLab as a sketchbook for your musical ideas. So you get to sit down on your couch and an idea pops into your head. You can just pull out your phone and really quickly you're recording it. And then it's like, okay, now I'm the user, right? And so every time I go in and I try something, I'm frustrated by the limitations that ironically I've set for myself because I essentially built the thing, right? But I realize, oh, there are better opportunities or better mechanisms by which we can make this thing easier to sketch with. Right. And so then I go out and I say, who else has this problem? And I start to develop a, a more well-rounded understanding, not just for my own pain points, but other pain points that exist within the sphere. And slowly what we, we sort of craft this understanding of like, okay, what does the general population actually see as the problem? And then we're solving that problem. 
right? But it all stems from my enthusiasm as a musician and, and using the product every single day. Did you use the product before you joined the company? Uh, no, I mean, no, only to test it out. So, so BandLab is really interesting because I, I'm a, like, I'm a big Apple user. Um, I, uh, you know, CJ, you recently joined the blue bubble gang and it was a, it was a great day for me, right? Shifting over from that Android <laughs> environment, I get to like tap back on little heart, you know, messages that you send me. Um, but yeah, I, like I've always been a big Apple user and Apple has GarageBand, which is sort of the free digital audio workstation for both iOS and for, um, for, you know, the OS X operating system. And so in, in a lot of ways, BandLab is the equivalent of that because we are the free DAW of choice for, for Android devices. And that's the, a, a large part of our market share. There are many, many people um, on iPhone who use BandLab too. Um, but really where we sort of see our key traction uh, is in spaces where people's only computer is their phone and that phone is an Android device, which is the majority of the world. So I just wasn't exposed to it until kind of finding out that, you know, that, that it existed from a friend of mine. And then I started playing with it and I said, Hey, this is a, this is a really awesome tool. But, you know, I mean, my goal here is to get to a space where people who are native to the Apple landscape know about BandLab because it, it offers so much beyond just a studio, which is absolutely true um, to the point where we sort of have market saturation and permeation um, to get anybody excited about it, regardless of what your computer of choice is. Gotcha. I was wondering if you were an avid user of the product and it was frustrating you. So you interviewed specifically to make it better. You're like, I'm tired of this little bug or whatever is it popping <laughs> up. Like, help me fix this and also pay me for it. Man, I got to tell you, though, like it's though I wasn't that person, um, we've had kind of both ends of that spectrum. Right. This uh, this great designer that joined our team came in and was like, here are all the problems and just had like presented solutions to solve a bunch of them. And, and we were like, okay, this dude's really passionate about it. And then the other end of the spectrum, we had actually, interestingly enough, another designer, um, a designer come in that said, hey, like I, I was kind of done with the work that I was doing before. And I just basically wrote down like, what are my dream tools that, that I don't even know if they exist in the world, right? And one of the things he wrote down is Cloud DAW, right? Cloud Digital Audio Workstation. He's like, it would be so cool if there was a you know a tool for recording music that everything was just in the cloud and that you could access it from multiple devices and so then he like googled that and boom we were the thing that came up and so he came into the interview being like hey i don't i don't know much about this but i'm like extremely passionate about sort of the core mission that BandLab is providing and so that's why he joined right so so i think there's value in sort of both ends of that uh, of that um way to find out about a product gotcha oh, hopefully this goes viral and i'll hit up the BandLab ad team for some uh sponsorship because you're you're selling their their uh, product pretty well here so my job man <laughs> TV, tbd on that um can you talk about how you ended up here like what previous work experience or personal experience as a musician um really set you up for success in this role and, and got you here yeah um so like i said i went to uc berkeley uh, i ended up studying political economy and a lot of people ask me like do you use your degree and, you know, though I'm not a lawyer, I'm not in politics, I actually do think I use my degree every day, right? Because political economy at Berkeley is an interdisciplinary degree that is equal parts sociology, economics, and politics. And again, to go back to this triangle framework, right? Sociology is a study of people. Economics is a study of business. And political science is a study of the inner bureaucracy, right? How to actually get stuff done. And like, that is just another framework or another, uh, like another analogy for the exact same thing, right? People, business, and, um, and engineering. So 
I was sort of schooled in that interdisciplinary interstitial space of, okay, how do I, how do I understand these three things in concert? And how do I figure out how to communicate between these different spaces? So sort of at my core, I was kind of set up for this. But then at the same time, as a musician, I was just like taking all these music classes. And, and near the end of my time, I ended up getting into a, um, the Center for New Music and Audio Technologies, which is Berkeley's music research affiliate. Um, and there I got to sort of like hone my chops as doing tinkering and engineering and soldering stuff and like building weird musical interfaces, um, which in turn sort of got me into a space where I was working for Bebop Sensors um, and their sister company, Keith McMillan Instruments, um, building fun little, you know, uh, instruments for people to make digital music, right? So these are like keyboards and, and different peripheral devices um, that use a pressure sensitive fabric uh and that pressure sensitive fabric is a unique sort of ip that uh we then with you cj realized oh actually there's opportunities outside of music to use this pressure sensitive fabric for all sorts of other stuff um and so bebop exists to service sort of the non-musical um uh space that kmi keep instruments is the uh, the musical space so you know that's also actually was a really great opportunity because bebop is business to business it's a b2b company um, and so we were out there trying to figure out basically what these large companies needed so the pain points that i was trying that we that you and i in a lot of cases specifically were trying to address were not for individual consumers but instead for these large-scale businesses to say hey what do you need to succeed now for me the the issue and this was just sort of uh, i think in part the nature of the 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 size of the startup um and the nature of just like you know who was who was a part of the team um to me i wanted to be a little bit more directly in touch with uh solving people's needs right and i felt like um you know it's it, it's not necessarily not the case in a business to business concept context but i really wanted and that's why i ended up going back to school for interaction design to figure out tools to be able to say, hey, I, I can start to figure out what you as a person needs in order to have um, a product be successful in the marketplace. And so that's what sort of then ultimately led me into BandLab. And I just got very lucky hanging out um, at my climbing gym and talking to other people who I saw wearing shirts that, you know, had cool music things on them. I was like, hey, like, I like that music thing. And he's like, oh, I like your music thing. And we got to talking and he knew about BandLab. So sort of one thing led to another. But again, it sort of all comes back to these sort of key things around being being able to communicate, being excited about the product. Um, yeah. I, I love it. No, I, I'm super interested in hearing people's stories about little random invitations or random meetups. I was at the gym wearing a Varda shirt. It's a space manufacturing startup. And a guy tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, oh, I worked at SpaceX. Like, are you at Varda? And I'm like, no, no, I'm non-technical. I'm not very smart. <laughs> it's just a cool shirt uh, I want to wear. But he, he works at a, another like rocketry company. So yeah, it's a good way to start a conversation. And especially in the Bay, it's just like a good way to network with people who recognize your industry or um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of good connections happen just from like being outside and talking to people. There's a certain bit of like chance that happens in the world that's really beneficial. Like you and I live in the Bay Area, so it's going to be more likely to happen here than let's say like Nebraska. Like we're right, not sure, going to have sure. yeah as much like text especially, but, um, there's a lot of value to just like participating in your community and talking to people that I think is like super valuable and like, you don't know where it's going to lead and sometimes leads to really good things. Yeah. And, but so CJ, you make a really good point. And like for anybody out there who's in Nebraska right now, listening and saying, damn it, if I wish I lived the barrier, like you're not talking to me. I, I think the key is 
there's just such a there's a saturation in the Bay Area because there's so many people doing so many different things um, that you're more likely to have those happenstance environments if you're wearing like a sin mat shirt and you're at the gym or whatever. But really, what you're doing is you're just if you live in Nebraska, all you have to do is sort of stack the deck a little bit more for for you. There's meetups all over the place, you know, and I think it's just it's a it's it's a it's an environment that you can tap into really quickly. Maybe you have to drive a couple of hours, you know, maybe four or five hours. I don't know. But I guarantee you, if you just like Google product management meetups near me, you're going to find stuff and you're typically going to find people like me who are just excited to talk about product management and communicate, especially if they're self self selecting for these meetup environments. Um, and then you just, it just, it snowballs. I'm telling you, like, it doesn't take more than one conversation to start to then have another conversation and then five more conversations. And the next thing you know, you're like pinching yourself because you're kind of in your dream job as a senior product manager at BandLab. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really interested in maximizing those opportunities and how do you get the ball rolling? How do you get people out in the world? Because, I mean, if you put yourself out there, good things usually happen and there's are there are resources available to make that happen. Like meetup.com is a great, you know, tool for that. But it's, it's a matter of like people not knowing about it or not knowing where or how to get started. So I think increasing messaging on those topics is, is particularly useful for just like motivating people to try something brand new. Totally. And, and that actually, happens. that reminds me of one other, one other point, you know, that, which is that, yeah, meetup.com is awesome. Right. But if you, if you start sort of thinking about, so what, what I, what I thought of when you were saying that, right, is, okay, what, what websites do I go to to try to, like, hone my product management community? And one that comes to mind, um, I highly recommend this, uh, this product thinker named Marty Kagan, right? He's got a couple books. One's called Inspired and then another one called Empowered. Um, but he also has a series of blog posts through his website, Silicon Valley Product Group. Um, he's a really, really strong product thinker, and he's actually an evangelist in some ways for the um, – design as a input for the product management pipeline because he's very interested in how do we learn from people who are using the products but the reason i bring him up specifically is he writes a blog and he's very popular and he runs like you know thousand dollar um uh, uh uh training seminars and whatnot but he's a type of person people are out there trying to get their ideas out into the world via medium you know via all sorts of their own sub stacks whatever it is they're just trying to get their ideas out there and a lot of those people, there's a lot of really smart product managers, um, a lot of really smart people across all disciplines, even if you don't want to be a product manager, that are just like new and putting their ideas out in the world. And those, and I mean, CJ, I learned this lesson from you, right? You do this all the time via Twitter, is just like reaching out to those people because like they're just people in their own homes typing up their own thoughts and whatever. And like the thing that they want more than anything else in the world is, is for people to engage with their content. Right. And the best way to show them that you're engaging is just to respond. And I cannot tell you the people that actually reach out to me with my limited social media presence or whatever and say, hey, like I saw your thing out in the world and that really means a lot to me. I will take time to help that person out, to talk with that person, to figure out how to get that person where they need to go. And it's just like the best thing that you can possibly do, even if you're. I mean, if you're in like the remotest region of Alaska, right, um, is you, you can just get on the internet, find the Marty Kagan who's starting out in their career, but you can tell is really brilliant, read a couple of their blog posts, respond to them, say, hey, I'm interested in this thing. What do you think about this? And the next thing you know, you're going to be deep in conversation with some really brilliant people who are, you gonna, who are going to put you in places to succeed. Twitter's, Twitter's great. I've been talking it up for a while. I really only started using it during the pandemic when I didn't have anything else to do, but it... <laughs> Whatever you're interested in gives you exposure to people doing that thing. Like there's a ton of 
up and coming comedians or there's people in tech, there's people in, in politics and like, yeah, all it takes is a few DMS and putting yourself out there and, and starting conversations. And like, you don't really know what's going to happen, but, um, often good things, unless you just like devolve into Twitter arguments, which can be fun, but I don't really support as much right. anymore. <laughs> so use it, use it responsibly. Don't, don't, don't hate tweet and you'll be fine. True. Um, yeah, this is all really good. Um, what, uh, what kind of things either professionally or personally, like, uh, uh, the, I'm, I'm thinking about, I'll just clip this out. Um, can you give me a few examples in your professional career thus far where you've succeeded or failed? I'm curious about both. Just in general succeeded or failed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough question, okay. but, no, no. um, I'm curious what you maybe think has gone better than expected and maybe some things that didn't work out the way you intended mm. uh, might be a better way to frame that. Uh, I'm a, I'm a glass half full person, so I'm always going to be able to come up with examples of where things work better than expected. So I'm going to take the other one, um, where things might've been a little bit tricky along the way. I, I'm going to leave in all this awkward silence great. too. Yeah, no, please do. Yeah. I'll, then I'll even pause a little bit longer if you want to add in some like hold music. I'll, I know how to cut. I know how to edit now. <laughs> I'll put in the Jeopardy theme. I'm not that yeah. good. Actually, I don't want to get sued by whoever runs Jeopardy. Oh my gosh. We was just watching a, um, an episode of, uh, Arrested Development and they, and they like had this, it was like with the banana stand standoff between the two brothers and they were like playing a bunch of different music and they're like, well, actually we thought Yellow Submarine would be kind of funny, but like who has the money for that? And then in the credits, they literally had a cover of like, like, what was it like yellow ship instead of yellow submarine? They like wrote a, like an alternative version of yellow submarine. It's like you brilliant bastards. Sorry. I think uh, you're, I think you're allowed to play like three seconds of a song before you have to pay for it. So in some media they'll tease the song and then cut it. Great. Just so that they, they don't charge it. Well, if you're not playing three seconds of jeopardy, I am uh, calling a cease and desist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, that, that'll be just a large cut if you want. Or not, you know, sometimes it's fun to leave it in. I love podcasts where it's like, oh, cut that. And you just hear that live. <laughs> like, uh, like, bleep that out. Like, no, it's staying. <laughs> nope, that's, nope, that's not your call, bud. Uh, so, okay. Um, yeah, the question is a time when things didn't go as well, basically. Is that how you frame it again for me on the negative side? Yeah. Can you, can you think of times in your professional career where things didn't work out as you expected and then how did you react or how did you manage it? I see. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the one that I've sort of been dancing around recently, right. Is, is, is recognizing that the product that, um, the, when I was managing product at Bebop sensors, right. Sort of realizing that the style of building products, um, that, you know, was largely sort of working for the organization, wasn't really working for me specifically, um, because, you know, I was out essentially on these sales calls with you, right? And learning from a lot of people about, hey, this is what we need, this is what we don't need. And then coming back and, um, and sort of hearing like, yeah, that's cool, but we as an organization are really trying to go in this direction. And serving, servicing this other company's needs is not going to help us sort of get to where we need to go. So there was like a sort of a, a strong sort of directional vision, um, but that to me felt a little bit um, asynchronous with how I wanted to help out the people that I was now in relationship with. 
Um, and so that's where I sort of made that pivot into, into interaction design. Um, and I, you know, I like, I think that's, that was for me, was a really, really big decision point it, because what it came down to was like, what are my values as a product manager? Um, and that's not at all to in any way sort of disparage um, Bebop or any of the organizations that, right, that are sort of very focused on a specific vision. I think just for me personally, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a person that engages, right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an extrovert and I love sort of, I get energy from working with other people. And so to then go out from them, hear all of their stories and, and empathize and really start to feel their discomfort and then come back and say, ah, that's not exactly what, what we need to do to succeed as an organization. You know, that, that was hard for me, right. Cause I think what I'm, what I'm seeing at BandLab and I think actually the appropriate way to to build and manage product is to have a, a good balance of all three of these things going back to my triangle um, framework right but like you, you have things that the business needs right like you're pushing forward on on a certain vision that the business wants to have right but that needs to be in balance with solving pain points and experimenting as a team and i think those are the three sort of things that that i try to schedule you know, as much as, as I can, right. To say, Hey, this is what we're going to work on next quarter. It's going to be an equal balance of things that we know the business needs right now. That's monetization, right? That's how do we convert some people that are using our product into people that are actually, you know, giving us money to sustain all of the good work that we're trying to do. And then there's an equal third that's, Hey, these are the people that are out there that are saying, man, I can't figure out how to make this sound. And then we realize, Oh, it's possible, but it's not clear. So let's solve that pain point. And then there's these great ideas that are coming from the team that we want to try out. We want to like put these experiments out in the world and see if the, those are the types of things that are going to be solved for people. Right. So I, I think it was again, to sort of to resummarize and answer your question, right. Recognizing ultimately at a point in my career, Hey, I'm getting to do cool things. I'm getting paid for them, but actually my fundamental sort of life philosophy is just slightly incongruent with what it is that this organization is trying to do. And so, okay, I need to take a step back. And in my case, actually take a pretty big financial risk, right? In a time when I was just getting married um, and I stepped away from, from income and instead put a lot of my savings into a, uh, a master's program, right? To sort of pivot slightly understanding that, you know, even though I was going into interaction design, I ultimately wanted to do product management, but I knew that the type of companies that would hire me as a product manager that were interested in my background in sort of this, you know, user research, human-centered design stuff are the types of people that would cre would foster the type of organization that I wanted to be a part of, right? So it was really ultimately in sitting down and thinking about what are my values and how to make sure that I could align my, I could present a version of myself that says, hey, these are my values without having to like write down on my resume at the bottom of the page, you know, values, colon, right? Like whatever, I could instead sort of say like, hey, these are the things that I studied. These are the things that I invested in myself. Um, it, you know, if you want to invest in me as a person, you know, you're doing so with the understanding that these are the things that I, Maxime, care about. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned a few times, but I actually haven't specifically clarified. Uh, but yeah, Maxime and I worked together at Bebop for a few years. Uh, I was running business development and Maxime was effectively a sales engineer for me who came in extremely personable, wanting to help the customer, but could talk tech on a deep level. Uh, my favorite meeting was when there were, what, four or five PhDs in the conference room and <laughs> You were, you were answering all their stuff and they were like, what'd you study? And you're like, political economy. And they're just like <laughs> looking at you like, damn, who is this guy? And how does he know so much about, uh, like physics level interactions about particles and God, it was, it was, it was getting fun in there. So <laughs> yeah, that um, was a good meeting. <laughs> 
yeah, I, I, I've seen you be really good at, at writing the, the difference between like having a very good technical understanding and incredible people skills necessary to, to pull that off really well. So I'm not surprised hearing that you want to be able to like work with users and solve their problems and like make their lives easier. So seems like a, a perfect place for you to be because um, I've seen you do it really well in the past. What advice would you give to yourself at age 18, age 21? What would you say? Um, uh, there, there are two contradictory answers to this question. And I think that can be frustrating, especially if somebody who's 18 to 21 out there is listening to this, right? Um, because on the one end, I would say, just stay the course. It gets messy, but like, so long as you continue to check in with yourself and say, Hey, what are my values? And is the work I'm doing in line with those values? Eventually you will sort of reach a stasis where what it is that you're doing is in line with those values. It might, you know, it took me until I was essentially 32. It might take until you're 35 or 40, but like the, the staying on that path of checking in with yourself and, and being true to your values is ultimately what's going to get you into the position to succeed. So that's, that's one end of the spectrum, which is all good. Don't change anything. Right. Um, but I think then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there, there is, I think, uh, in, in the process of my own competing interests between wanting to be a musician and for a, a few years after, uh, after I graduated my undergrad at Berkeley, that's all I was doing. I was teaching, I was gigging, I was doing the music thing full time. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was like, wait, this is hard to make money. I sort of miss some of the like more theoretical, um, you know, I was at the time I was prototyping some stuff and I really wanted to continue to, to like build and, and be a part of sort of creating a product. Right. Um, and I, and I think I, I got caught in between those two worlds and at the end of the day, it would have been smart of me to sort of just pick a path and just learn as much as I could about it for even just like six months to a year. That's not to say that I would have, in this case, given up on music, but just to say, you know what? I need to figure out if this other thing, whatever it was, it became product management, but at the time I had no words for it, but I knew what I was interested in. I knew I was interested in building things, right? Physical or otherwise. I knew I was interested in, you know, in sort of an entrepreneurial thing, right? How do I go sort of put something out into the world that is unique and new? And I knew I was interested in like working with other people. So if I'd gone out a little bit sooner and like just tried to find some books, right? Like gone to the library and said, hey, these are the things that I'm interested in. You're a librarian. Like what, what would you recommend? You can start to quickly sort of hone. And I wish I just sat down with like six books when I was 21 and just spent like three months reading through them and really just trying everything I possibly could to understand what it was that I was craving. If at the time that still didn't feel good and I wanted to go back into music, I think that would have been okay. But I think I would have learned a lot, a lot more quickly had I just stopped and sort of explored those feelings fully of, hey, what is this other life that I'm pining for? Um, and really sat with those feelings before, in, instead of, I mean, uh, going back and forth sort of in this oscillation between, I want to be a musician, oh, I want to build stuff. And and in the end, I, I shortchanged both of those. Sounds like you're doing both today. I mean, again, I saw you in concert, what, two weeks ago? <laughs> And you're building products for users. So it sounds like you've achieved both things. I don't think, I don't think you've, yeah, not, not hit either. You're still doing it. 
No, I, I, pre- I mean, thank you, CJ. I think there's, you know, like you're, we are our own harshest critics typically, you know, and, and that's why I sort of, I, I started by saying like, look, just say the course, it's going to be confusing, you know? And I mean, like there were years where I felt a little bit lost. I didn't really have a clear idea. You know, somebody was saying, Hey, what do you do? It was like, I don't know. I do all these, I don't know. And, you know, I'm just eating my own words. Um, and so it's easy in retrospect to say, Hey, you know, learn more, right? take more time, read the books, which is all true. And that's what I'm doing now. But you come to these things at your own time, you know, and it's really easy for me to articulate in retrospect that I was interested in entrepreneurship. I was interested in building things, right? I was interested in communication and and being in in relationship with other people. But at the time, like that was not easy to articulate. And so you got to figure out your own winding path. And I, and I do believe that picking up some books and reading other people's thoughts would have gotten me there quicker because it's, it's still getting me to where I'm trying to go quicker now. Um, but at the time I was a little bit too in my own head and I just, I think that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to not know is my point. Any book recommendations for listeners out there? Yeah. Um, many, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I recommended inspired by Marty Kagan. I think that's great. There's a whole, there's a whole series of, of product management books, right? Like zero to one, um, the hard thing about hard things, um, I'll leave that there. Those are three really good ones. Um, I'm also sort of on, on a, on a different note. Um, I'm reading, uh, this book. I don't know. It's like, I think it's somebody's, uh, like PhD thesis or something, but it's called, um, aesthetics in Japanese anime. Um, and I like, I cannot recommend it enough. Right. Cause the, it, it, it's so cool. I had, okay. I'm going to take a, take an aside to say, I have a, a good friend of mine, uh, studied at UC Santa Barbara. And he was telling me about a class he took on like 12th century Japanese history. And this, this story always stuck with me that this, this professor could relate all sorts of random current events that seem to have nothing to do with Japanese current Japanese 12th century Japanese history to specific events that happened during that time period. And the point is that he was so deeply aware of what happened during that time period that he was able to extrapolate and generalize everything that was going on in the world. And I've always been really inspired by the degree to which things that are seemingly completely unrelated to what it is that you're trying to do can actually give you the inspiration and give you the context to solve the problems in unique ways or in ways in just to understand how they've been solved before. And so aesthetics in Japanese anime is very much about Zen philosophy, right? And embodiment, it's, you know, and, and sort of a reaction to what is in Western philosophy, a lot of very like heady, um, we're going to solve our problems by thinking through them, sort of the idea of aesthetics in Japanese culture and, and, and which is embodied in some ways in the anime um, that is current is, a, is, an, is an embodied practice. It's understanding that some of the ways in which we solve problems don't happen in our, in our mental space, but they happen through, through moving through the world um, and exploring our bodies and exploring space. Um, and so I've been really inspired to sort of step away from, as you can tell, I'm like, I'm a very cerebral person. I like, I talk a lot and I have a lot of ideas and trying to sort of, for me, shift out of that and into a space of more like, okay, how do I experience things a little bit more um, to help me just find a different vantage point on, on solving issues. So aesthetics in Japanese anime, uh, highly recommend it. So what I'm hearing is we could solve all of the world's problems today if only more people studied 12th century Japanese aesthetics. Uh, that is exactly what I'm saying. Or dance. Dance is great. You really have a lot <laughs> of things to dance. Or, or poker. There's a lot of, lot of <laughs> parallels between the two. Oof. Um, I learned a Maxine lot playing is... poker. <laughs> That's right. Man, okay. I, 
you can see the table in back. So it's, it's been unused. It's been unused since the pandemic. And I like, I sit here and I shuffle my chips. So yes. I, uh, I haven't played in a long time. I mean, poker is like, you know, you're going to play a lot of hands and you can do everything right and lose. And on the flip side, you can do everything wrong and still win. But in the long run, if you make more good decisions than bad in the long run, you'll be better off. It's just that short-term variance is what I think in life people get caught up with is like short-term pain. But if you zoom out five, 10 years, you're like, oh, I'm actually like way better off. I'm happier. I'm more successful. It was just like a speed bump where at the time it feels like a mountain. Yes, man. I mean, this is exactly what I was trying to say in my contradictory answers to what I would say to my 18 to 21 year old self. I a hundred percent, right? It's, it's about trusting yourself to stay the course and understanding that when you don't know, that doesn't mean that you should necessarily give up on everything that you're trying to do. Sometimes it's okay to just take a step back, take a breath, right? And then say, you know what? I've made this decision to walk down this road. I'm not going to turn back now, you know? And if you just have a philosophy, it kind of doesn't matter what that philosophy is, just so long as you stay true to your own vision. I think it's the same thing in poker, right? You just like, you got to learn one or two things. And as long as you don't like deviate when you're like, ah, I don't know, let's try this out instead. You're probably going to be okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm a poker player. So. <laughs> it's a PG show, sir. I have to edit um, that one. Oh, great. <laughs> I'll figure out what the bleep button is on this. Um, no, this is great. Uh, Maxime, I, I, I really appreciate the time. Uh, if someone to follow your career, reach out and say hi, how would they follow you or reach out to you? Yeah, I, I alluded to the fact that I have a uh, next to zero social media presence. Um, that's a whole, I'll toss in one more book recommendation, which is Who Owns the Future by Jaron Lanier, um, a big uh, sort of mentor and uh, brilliant philosopher, a friend of mine who is very anti-social media. And so that's a little bit of my philosophy as well. But um, with that said, I mean, I think the best way, honestly, is just to find me on LinkedIn, right? Maxime Stinnett is my full name. Um, there aren't very many Maxims uh, in the U.S. Uh, there's no other Maxime Stinnett, so you can find me that way, two N's, two T's. Uh, and I mean, I'm down to connect with anybody. Just don't shoot me a random connection, you know, put a little message. Hey, this is how I found you. Um, and like I said, I'm super game to connect uh, and, and have any conversations about product management, music, uh, you know, how to find the right person to teach you how to play poker because it isn't me. Anything. I love it. This has been a great conversation. Maxime, I, I really appreciate the time, man. Great to Yeah, thank to you, CJ. You.